You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Hey, get your popcorn ready. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Cordell Stewart. On today's podcast, we're going to focus on football in Texas with Mickey Spagnola from DallasCowboys.com and John Harris from the Texans Radio Network. Plus, we'll provide your fantasy fix. And Brian, we're going to kick off the podcast today with Peter King from MMQB. Now, it's time for 2010 National Sports Writer of the Year, Peter King, from MMQB on the NFL on TuneIn. Peter, always a pleasure. We were just talking about Dirk Cutter's situation in Tampa Bay. How much job security do you think he has? Not a lot, which I think, uh, look, at some point, the Bucks have to get off the Jimmy Haslam bandwagon. I mean, Greg Schiano, two years. Lovey Smith, two years. Dirk Cutter, maybe two years. Look, pick a coach, stick with him through some of the hard times, and get going. I mean, you know, I I always say this about the AFC East, okay? Since Bill Belichick was hired by Robert Kraft in New England, the other three teams in the AFC East have had 24 head coaches. 24! And everybody in Atlanta is laughing at Tampa. Everybody in, uh, in, 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 in uh, New Orleans with Sean Payton, you know, there since 2006, they're laughing. Ron Rivera, I mean, he's like, uh, he's like a 30-year coach compared to Tampa. And all I'm saying is that every time you start over, what that means is this coach says, well, I want to get my guys in here. Getting your guys in there means that the teaching is going to be different. It means that, you know, hey, look, you got, you got somebody right in with you right now, Cordell, who can tell you absolutely unequivocally the benefit of having three coaches, head coaches in half a century in Pittsburgh. And the benefit basically is that you go 6-10 and 10 one year, and everybody in that locker room is going to know that, hey, listen, you know, they're not just going to get rid of this guy because we're having a rocky time. So we better get on the boat and, and, uh, and we all better or, the, uh, you know, uh, paddle in the right direction. I mean, the key word for that one is stability. And, and that's why that organization, I think, will be one of the most successful ones in the history of the National Football League over time. But there's a coach there in, in Tampa, I think, that got ran out of town pretty fast here in Atlanta that was pretty successful. And, of course, when Danny Quinn comes in and takes him to a Super Bowl, it kind of shuts that conversation down. But Mike Smith, the defensive coordinator there in Tampa, give me your take on his opportunity of maybe having that chance to fill that seat. Very well respected. And, in fact, um, you know, there's a lot of thought in New York when, um, you know, when uh, uh, when they got rid of Tom Coughlin that Mike Smith was going to be a, a rock-solid candidate and might have gotten the job uh, with the Giants. So, Cordell, there's, n- there's no question whatsoever that Mike Smith is going to get a multiple uh, feelers, if not multiple significant interviews in this postseason. Chatting with Peter King of the MMQB. Peter, what do you make of the Panthers' situation on Friday? We had the initial report of an internal investigation of their owner, Jerry Richardson, by Sunday night, the announcement he was selling the team. That moved pretty rapidly. Unbelievable how fast it moved. Uh, I, I think what happened is this is Jerry Richardson saying that, look, 
Uh, I probably did some things I shouldn't have done. I want to, I'm 81 years old. I want to go away. I'm going to make sure that me and my partners sell this franchise to a, to owners who are going to keep it in Charlotte. And, uh, you know, basically I'm, I'm walking away. And I think he did, in light of everything going on, I think he did the dignified thing. Give me your give me your take on Coach Marvin Lewis. I know he hasn't won a playoff game, but he's a good coach. Uh, do you see him being a head coach or more of a assistant coach, like a defensive coordinator? It's you know, Cordell. Somebody once told me about you know when we were when I was talking to him about you know uh, about a coach or about their new head coach. He made this comment, this offhanded comment. He goes, you know, I hate to think about this, but you do not want to lose the press conference. And his point was, you don't want to have negativity attached when you hire a coach in, you know, your local fans, your local media, all that stuff. And look, I've been around Marvin Lewis a lot. I have tremendous respect for him. It's hard to coach in Cincinnati. And I know he didn't win a playoff game, but the fact that this guy's four games over 500 in the city of in Cincinnati which is a very difficult place to coach compared to a lot of other spots. The fact that he's four over 500 over 15 years is a really good accomplishment. But you stand him up in whatever, New York with the Giants or Indianapolis or wherever there's an opening, just envision what the reaction would be to hiring a coach who had 15 years with the Cincinnati Bengals and never won a playoff game. And I just think that the reaction to that would be, you've got to be kidding me. Finally, Peter, let's wrap it up in Houston. What are you hearing about Bill O'Brien? I think that's it's very, very fluid. I don't think it's finished. I don't think that Bill O'Brien absolutely is gone. But I do think that things are going to have to change there uh, you know, for him to continue. I think he doesn't want to sign – this is what I hear, that he doesn't really want to sign an extension unless – there's some changes made in the front office. I think he wants to have a little bit more authority over the roster, especially over some of the offensive personnel. Um, and, and look, Rick Smith is a highly respected general manager. Rick Smith is the one who stood on the table and basically said, we're taking Deshaun Watson. And, and I saw Rick Smith recently, and I said, man, you know, you could be a GM for a long time. But at the end of the day, they're going to put on your gravestone, this guy picked Deshaun Watson when everybody else was kind of <laughs> down on him. And, I mean, how great a pick is that going to turn out? I only, I know he only started six games this year. But, you know, that's going to be a tremendous achievement uh, for, for long into the future. But I, I think it's probably most likely that, that, they, uh, that the Texans and uh, – and O'Brien get a divorce, but it's absolutely not a done deal yet. Peter, as always, we appreciate the great insights. Enjoy your week. We'll chat with you Sunday on NFL First and Goal. Sounds great. Thank you. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this.
Hey guys, you're listening to Dumb People Town on TuneIn. And since we're new here, we thought we'd tell you a little bit about our show. We have dumb ears on the ground. Our fans send in stories that have happened, real stories that have happened. And along with our co-host, we Dan, try to break down that material with Dan Van Dan Kirk. Van Kirk, our co-host, breaks it down. And then us and a guest, we and a guest break it all down. And we try and make it funny for you. It is a fast hour and you will enjoy it. It's a riff fast. Silly. You can hear episodes of our show uh, a full week early right here on TuneIn. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Next up on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, let's welcome in Houston Texan sideline analyst John Harris. John, thanks for taking the time. Let's start with a little bit of league speculation about the future of Bill O'Brien. How do you view what's going on with the head coach of the Texans? As you know, yesterday he was definitive saying he'll never resign as the head coach in Houston. Oh, I, I absolutely believe that. I've talked to Bill both on and off the air uh, about that, and and he's he's adamant. Uh, he he will not he will not resign. Now, that doesn't mean that Bob McNair may make a decision uh, to to go elsewhere for 2018 and beyond. But he said, and and he believes this too. And and one of the reasons why he said he wouldn't uh, he wouldn't quit on his team or wouldn't resign is that he loves this team, and and for good reason. With what he has coming back in 2018 with Deshaun Watson and J.J. Watt and Whitney Merciless coming back in particular, uh, Deontay Foreman as well, he really likes coaching this team. You know, there are some NFL coaches that think that they like certain aspects of their team. He, he really, truly loves coaching this group of guys, and obviously each year is a little different. Uh, so next year we'll have a, a you know an infusion of some – young players, some free agents, I would imagine. But I know Bill really wants to come back. Now, uh, is is everything a, a bouquet of roses every single day? No, but Rick and Bill get along, and they've they've done some good things together. They just haven't been able to get over the, the, the hump. But this year has been just so injury-riddled uh, throughout. I mean, even depth players have gone down. So uh, I – you know, I don't know what to make of it from the league. You know, it's interesting because there are a lot of people throughout the league that think they have an idea of what goes on inside the building because they listen to sources of sources. But nobody's really talked to Bill about it other than the people here in Houston. He said, look, I'm coming back. If Bob and Garrett wants me, I'm coming back. When you look at the direction of this football team, uh, going back to how the quarterback position has been I think that the, the, the most glaring issue uh, now that they have Deshaun Watson, I asked you this question before when you came on a few weeks ago, who would be first to go or who's most needed? And we kind of went around the Marbury Bush and obviously came to the same conclusion, which I think we all can agree. It is Deshaun Watson. Do you think they finally got to the point where they're saying to themselves, you know what, now that we have our quarterback, let's just go in another direction in a sense of, getting the message out to this football team and trying to build around the vision of someone new with already having a quarterback in place. You know, Cordell, I can see that theory. Absolutely. Um, I think there are a couple things to, to take into account when, when looking at the, the Houston Texans. First of all, Bob McNair historically, now it doesn't mean that things don't change going forward, but historically he has been – uh, he has been apt to stick with his guy, with his coach, Gary Kubiak. Going after the 2010 season, I, I was I was pretty much a thousand percent convinced it was a fait accompli that Gary Kubiak was done after the 2010 season. 
And then he comes back and wins AFC South in 11 and 12. And like, wow, okay. Uh, you know, he saved himself. And, of course, in 2013, the bottom completely fell out. So Bob stuck with him in 2010. Uh, there are some people that wanted Dom Capers out earlier uh, than, than he was let go. So Bob has been not as quick to make decisions uh, on, his, on changing his personnel at the top, in the GM and at the head coaching position. Now, look, Deshaun Watson is he's the straw stirring a drink. And when it was tweeted out the other day about Bill coming back, Deshaun Watson tweeted, and I want to be, and I want OB with me. So if Deshaun is the most important straw stirring a drink, well, that guy wants Bill O'Brien next to him. And, and look, some of that is I've learned this offense. I know how to run it. Uh, we're just going to get better and better. We work well together. And there's always, no matter what, there's always the fear of the unknown going forward. But Deshaun has said, I want to work with OB. Now, that's a pretty loud voice to be able to say, I want him with me. And that's what he's saying publicly, but also privately. You know, Deshaun has said, I like working with OB. I want to continue doing this, and I want to go forward and see what we can do. And I think it's a shame that this year we could have seen what they could have done in year one, gotten some more experience, I think gotten into the playoffs in the AFC, and ultimately uh, gotten ready for 2018 and been a Super Bowl contender at that point. I still think they're going to be a championship contender no matter what happens because they do have number four. But number four wants Bill O'Brien back next year no matter what. Will he get his wish? I think we'll find out very soon. John Harris from the Texans radio network and the Texans team channel here on TuneIn. John, have there been any updates on J.J. Watt's rehab from the leg injury that wiped out this season? He is actually wasn't supposed to walk until middle of December. And he started walking the end of November. So he's a little bit ahead of schedule. I think there's been optimism about uh, what he's been able to do and what he's going to be able to do over the coming weeks, which I think will accelerate things. But I think it's, it's, it's fascinating to think about, the in a, in a bad way, of course, what J.J. did to his leg. In fact, his ACL, given everything that happened to him, the ACL should have torn. It should have torn, and that actually would have been a better situation for him than actually what happened. Because his ACL stayed intact, it shattered his leg, and that's made this comeback much more difficult than a simple run-of-the-mill, if you could say that, torn ACL. But all indications are that he's ahead of schedule, which he's going to need to be to be able to get to week one, like he said he wants to in 2018. But, look, it's now... Uh, and I thought about this the other day. In 2015, the playoff game against the Chiefs, he left early. In 2016, he made it through three games. In 2017, he made it through, well, what, four games. And so from that standpoint, he hasn't finished a season since 2014. And that's, that's fairly remarkable to think about, that he has not been able to finish that season since 2014. If he makes it through 2018, then it's going to be a situation which – He's made it for the first time in four years. So I don't know if they can count on J.J., but I think they'll be able to, uh, they'll be able to uh, know what they have probably the next few weeks to know if they've got to go look at defensive line of free agency or the draft. John, when you look at what DeAndre Hopkins has been able to do, uh, he has 80, 80, what, 88 catches, tied for second in the NFL, 1,233 yards, second in the league, as well as 11 TDs, first 
amongst all the catchers in the game. Tell me how how good of a year has it been for him considering they're going back to the, the merry-go-round of quarterbacks? And obviously this will happen by default, uh, but yet he's being consistent. He's catching the football. He's not as disappointed as he once was, but he's not back in the driver's seat of being the go-to guy on this offense. Yeah, he's he's been unbelievable, Cordell. And I'm, I'm sure you played with some incredible receivers over the years that could you know, do the toe tap, the toe drag on the sideline. And I think DeAndre is one of the best I've ever seen do it. And his hands are so strong, and he's so strong. You know, he's going against Jalen Ramsey. And, and, look, I think Ramsey's the best corner in football. I think he's one of the top three defensive players in all football. And he tracks DeAndre wherever DeAndre goes. If DeAndre goes to the bathroom, Jalen Ramsey's going to go with him. But Ramsey gets away with a lot. He is very physical. He clutches and he holds and he grabs, and he is very, very physical. And there was a play on Sunday where DeAndre was holding off, was being held by one arm by Ramsey, and he was catching the ball with the other. And I'm like, how does he do this? This is incredible what this guy's able to do. And it was funny today, our, our PR department tweeted out a stat that said that DeAndre threw 14 games. I think he's got 93-plus catches, 1,300 yards, and 12 touchdowns. Through 14 games, there are only five other receivers that have done that. And it's Jerry Rice and uh, Randy Moss and players of that ilk. That's the kind of year that DeAndre's having. And when he tweeted out, he said, thanks to Tom Savage, Deshaun Watson, and T.J. Yates. You know, the other guys, you know, Randy Moss had Randall Cunningham for a full year uh, when he had that great he had Tom Brady in 2007 for the full year. DeAndre Hopkins has done it with about a dozen quarterbacks which is phenomenal. And so that's the other reason why I think Deshaun Watson is so valuable is that he can create even more synergy going forward with DeAndre Hopkins, with Will Fuller, with Bruce Ellington, that he he lost over the last half of the year. But you can see it building. And I think when you have Watson and Hopkins making music together going forward, it's going to be unbelievable no matter who's leading the charge at head coach, GM, et cetera. You got Watson and Hopkins, man, they're going to make some sweet music together, no question in the future. John, last one for me. You saw the Jaguars for the second time in person on Sunday, and they were ferocious against the Texans once more. How dangerous could Jacksonville be now that we know they're going to the playoffs for the first time since 2007? Yeah, very dangerous, Brian. I, I didn't think week one was a fluke, but I did think there would be some regression to the mean in some sense for, for Jacksonville. That has not happened. The defense plays at such a different rate of speed. They're so much faster than anybody that, that I've seen this year. The secondary is outstanding. There's nowhere to throw. And when you have guys like Miles Jack, nobody talks about these two guys, Miles Jack and Telvin Smith. There's such safeties that they run like safeties and they play linebacker. And they play linebacker really well. So you're playing against guys with so much speed. And then Clayus Campbell, A.J. Boye, and Barry Church have come in as free agents and transformed that defense. And, and think about this, eight of the 11 starters – were acquired by Jacksonville 2016 or 2017. In just two years, that defense went from being, oh, this is not a really good unit, to this is the best unit that I've seen in probably four or five years, putting it on par with the 2015 Broncos uh, in units like that. It did it in two years, and it's going to be that way for a while with the youth that that group has on defense. They're legit, and as long as Blake Bortles doesn't get in a situation where he just completely craters, they're going to be a really tough out for the Patriots and for the Steelers. We've seen the Patriots. I know that defense will be tough on Tom Brady. 
we'll see the Steelers on Monday on Christmas, and we'll see what they've got without Ryan Shazier and without Antonio Brown. But I got a feeling the Jaguars, having already beat the Steelers, they could give anybody in the NFL a run with that defense and with some of the speed they've got at receiver. And as you recall, they induced five interceptions from Ben Roethlisberger in the road victory at Pittsburgh. John, great information as always. I know you're going to be working on the holiday as the Steelers come to Houston on Monday, but hope you and your family have some time to enjoy Christmas. Absolutely, boys. Happy holidays. Thank you very much. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Experience the excitement of the NFL as it happens with NFL First and Goal, exclusively on TuneIn Premium. From week one to week 17, jump in and out of the action every Sunday with Nick Ferguson and me taking you from game to game. We'll have home calls as teams are threatening to score. Fake it to block. Brady tosses. Touchdown! Hear every big play. Hear every game-winning drop. It's a touchdown! Catch NFL first and goal every Sunday starting at 1 Eastern only on TuneIn. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now let's spotlight America's team with Mickey Spagnola from DallasCowboys.com. Mickey, got to start with what would happen on Sunday Night Football in Oakland. Many components to the Cowboy victory, but is that index card moment going to become a part of Cowboys lore? You know, it was funny. We've got a broadcast room. And, you know, it, for like the past year, there's been a stack of index cards uh, on the table. And they just sit there. No one's using them. And I was thinking, darn, i got to start bringing those to the game just in case, <laughs> in case the officials need a help. Yeah, that was pretty hilarious. That was my first time ever seeing it. I think even the referee had a smirk on his face. But how much is everyone smirking now that Ezekiel Elliott is back and having an well, opportunity to help this offense out? Yeah, he's back in the building. Uh, got got here uh, yesterday, uh, early afternoon. Uh, back in the building today for the team meeting. Uh, they'll have a little uh, walk through, uh, kind of a conditioning run and lift, uh, and then they'll get back into practice tomorrow. So we'll know uh, a little bit more about just how uh, good a shape uh, he is in. Uh, you know, the early reports say. Uh, vary, uh, but again, I'll, I'll 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 hold my opinion till I I actually see him. I mean, he's been gone for 42 days, so uh, that's quite a while to be out of football. The Cowboys certainly are hoping that he's in good enough shape to help them right away. Uh, if you notice, they they did put him on uh, reserve exempt list, so they have until next Monday to. Uh, activate him. I'm sure that'll happen by Friday or Saturday. Uh, and uh, if you know if he's ready to go, uh, my opinion on it, guys, is just wear him out. Uh, he's got fresh legs. I know he hadn't played in a while, uh, but I think for a running back, it's a lot uh, easier to acclimate uh, to the game than maybe some of the other positions if you're away that long. Uh, especially the quarterback position. Chatting with Mickey Spagnola, DallasCowboys.com, and the Cowboys team channel here on TuneIn. Mickey, I know it's early in the week, but is there any update on the status of Tyron Smith who left the win over the Raiders on Sunday night with a knee injury? Yeah, I think uh, at this point, uh, the best they can uh, probably expect is he's questionable. Now, I don't know if it's highly questionable, uh, but the thing I keep hearing uh, without them actually saying it uh, is that, well, it was bad enough for him not to complete the game. 
which mean he had to leave. So uh, I think it's serious enough that, yeah, I would say it's questionable. I think the good news was is when he got checked out with x-rays and MRI uh, that there wasn't a torn ACL. Uh, but as nobody's mentioned uh, what degree it might be an MCL, uh, and as you guys know, even if you have a, a medium-grade sprain of the MCL, that's usually two to four weeks. Uh, so I think that, uh, you know, this could be one of those deals where they try to get him to Sunday. Uh, maybe he doesn't practice uh, and see if he can get in there and, and play in the game. So uh, when Jerry Jones talked about it on his radio segment this morning, uh, he listed it as questionable. He seemed to be more hopeful uh, for guys uh, like Anthony Hitchens and maybe even Orlando Skandrick uh, with the multiple transverse process fractures that he suffered a couple weeks ago. Mickey, I think it's it's okay to say that we all was hoping that we could get to this point where once Ezekiel Elliott came back, that they would have an opportunity to make a run at getting into the postseason. Give me the likelihood that based on what you see through the landscape of the NFC, you see this team having that chance. Well, first of all, the Cowboys have to win their two games. That That's an absolute must, and they need help. Now, if you watched last night, it's like that's what happens when you need help from other people you know, Tampa Bay kind of teased you against Atlanta because they certainly need uh, the Falcons to lose uh, two more games. Uh, they came close, didn't make the field goal to get the ball, get the game into overtime. Uh, so the Falcons win, and basically the Cowboys cannot get into a tie at ten and six with the Falcons uh, because they would lose the tiebreaker on head to head. So uh, they need them to lose their final two games. They've got New Orleans and Carolina. I guess it's not out of the realm of possibility. Uh, but again, that's asking a lot. Uh, and then the other thing that has to happen is Detroit uh, has to lose one of its last two games. Uh, they're playing Cincinnati uh, and then the Packers. And, you know, who knows if the Packers are going to. Uh, uh, play Aaron Rodgers or if they're going to pull him for the rest of the season. So, uh, yeah, I mean, they've got to help themselves first, but that that's a lot of help to uh, depend on to get yourself into that last wild card spot. Mickey, beyond the stats, because you watch these games so closely, how would you sum up the body of work put together by Dak Prescott in the six games without Ezekiel Elliott? Well, uh, the three games that he had a healthy offensive line, I would say he did a pretty darn good job. Uh, the three games without him, uh, that he got sacked 14 times in three games, probably didn't play as well. But I think there was a very good reason for it. Uh, you got to do a better job of protecting your quarterback. And not only did he get sacked 14 times, he got hit 19 other times in those three games. So when people tell me, well, he's got to learn to play without Zeke, and he finally figured it out, it wasn't like a light bulb came on. When you're playing without Tyron, uh, Tyron Smith, uh, Zach Martin uh, gets knocked out of more than a half of one of the games. Uh, Lael Collins is trying to fight through back problems, and you don't have your offensive line playing to the level they need to play. I don't care who the quarterback is, probably going to struggle some. Uh, and I think that's what happened. So I see all these stats about it, you know, how few touchdowns he had, how many interceptions he had, but everybody leaves out the 14 sacks. And, and think about this in those first eight games, he was only sacked 10 times. And then suddenly uh, there was an outbreak of sacks. Now, was that because the offensive line uh, was suffering? Was that because 
Zeke wasn't there, or was a combination, a bad combination of two, uh, and I would like to think it's the latter than the former. Chidobe Awuze, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, the, the, the young kid coming out of Colorado, the rookie, uh, he's had an opportunity to step up and play uh, in some games. Uh, we saw him against Oakland. He had some great play, made some great plays as far as coverage, coverage is concerned. Give me a take on how excited the coaches are about how he's been able to step up and start playing. Oh, I think they're, they're looking at the guy that they uh, thought they were going to get in the second round. I think they're pretty excited about what he's uh, done so far. And, and truthfully, Cordell, I, I think that was the plan all along uh, to, from the beginning of the season with the exception of he missed so much time in training camp with that hamstring strain. Uh, then he came back in, played a, a, a bunch in that second game against Denver, strained it again. And then strained it one more time. So they finally sat him. And the next time they brought him back, he played two games, but it was only at special teams. They didn't want to overdo it. Uh, and then these last couple games, he's gotten out there. And I just think all along the plan was, you know, that left cornerback position is going to be this kid's. And they think, I think he, they thought he could come in and play right from the beginning. You know, and it's not just him. Uh, they, they've had to play Jordan Lewis a lot with Orlando Skandrick uh, out. Uh, and with Skandrick out uh, they, and Anthony Brown struggling a little bit, uh, they use Xavier Woods uh, in the slot. So those three guys were their top three corners in these last two games. And, you know, they, they played pretty well. They need experience, uh, but to play that many rookies, and I understand what happened on that last series, uh, but in the end, they held the Raiders to 17 points. Uh, and so thought they did a, a, a heck of a good job. Uh, and, and even the, the weeks before, they were forcing everything underneath. They were keeping things from going over their head. Uh, and, you know, maybe they should have gone to that a little bit earlier, except for the injury aspect that all three of them missed so much time in training camp that they, they couldn't get to them all at the same time. But I think they have to be pretty happy about what the future looks like uh, at the cornerback position. Mickey, as always, we appreciate the insights. Thanks for joining us again on the NFL on TuneIn and enjoy the big game coming up on Sunday against Seattle. Good to be with you guys and have a happy Christmas. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Catch all new episodes of some of your favorite podcasts early with TuneIn First Play. With more than 30 First Play podcasts on TuneIn, you can listen to new episodes from some of your favorite shows before they're available anywhere else. Hey there, it's Mike Rowe. This is The Way I Heard It, the only podcast for the curious mind with a short attention span. We're at episode number 83, incredibly. I'm Jack Hitt. And I'm Chinjirai Kumanyika. This is Uncivil. Where we ransack America's history and discover that the past is never really past. From the American Museum of Natural History in New York City and beaming out across all of space and time, this is Star Talk, where science and pop culture collide. Search First Play Podcasts and listen early, listen often, and listen today. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we close out NFL No Huddle, the podcast, it's time to provide the fantasy fix. Fantasy football has become a major reality for millions of fans. Makes him off to the 30. He's gone. He's gone. What a move. 
It takes skill to win your fantasy championship, separating the zeros. He goes to the near side, and it's picked off! Intercepted! From the fantasy heroes. Down the middle, it's caught over the shoulder in the end zone. Buckle up your chin strap for the fantasy fix. Since it is time for the Fantasy Football Super Bowl, we bring in the undisputed heavyweight champion of fantasy advice, Michael Harmon, SwollenDome.com. And, Mike, that is not an observation about weight. That just means you're the best in the business. As I backpedal before I get to the question, no Antonio Brown. It's the Fantasy Super Bowl. Who's going to get more targets, Juju Smith-Schuster or Martavis Bryant? Martavis Bryant over the top, and almost like a prophet on Sunday. I told you Jesse James was going to be a big factor in that game. Boy, I didn't realize I was going to be uh, so right on so many levels. But <laughs> going forward, uh, I think you're going to see the number one roll over to Smith-Schuster, uh, given the, the history, and Martavis Bryant is the guy that we're going to be looking to over the, over the top against the Houston secondary that has given up some uh, ridiculous number of top 20 plays uh, along the way, 20-plus yards. Uh, I believe it's like 47 or thereabouts for the season. So go up over the top. Roethlisberger will have a day. Mike's coming on the show, exploding, making some fireworks start off as we go into the Christmas holiday season. But another player I thought that stepped on the football field that exploded, similar to how you did when you came on, Nick Foles. He stepped in for Carson Wentz, throwing four touchdowns. Will his fantasy value remain uh, against the Raiders? Remain going to win a fantasy title this year with Nick Foles under center. How about that? A holiday a gift. I mean, Aaron Rodgers pops on, goes back onto the IR. We lose some of these big-time weapons along the way, and then we're always looking for motivation. Well, Nick Foles still looking to uh, keep things rolling for Philly against uh, an Oakland team that I've got to think after Sunday night's loss uh, going to come out. Perhaps uh, the effort won't be a full 100% all the way through, and defensively they've been giving up big plays all year long. So another opportunity here. Nick Foles, top 10 play this week. Fantasy Fix, Michael Harmon, SwollenDome.com. Mike, every time I read your name, I get a tweet from Beer Almighty 3. He's a big fan of your work, and he's got a simple question for his Fantasy Super Bowl. Should he go with Des Bryant or Marquise Goodwin? Ooh, I like me some Marquise Goodwin, uh, given the way Jimmy Garoppolo has been playing. Des Bryant, perhaps still a guy that folks want want to based on name recognition. Seattle obviously banged up in a must-win game here, both squads uh, fighting it out. But I'm going to go with, with Goodwin, even though it's against Jacksonville, that Garoppolo uh, finds, finds a way with the targets and with the Jaguars down a couple of their offensive weapons that maybe this one opens up a bit. Mike, the Bucks wide receiver Mike Evans' production has been down over the last few uh, last few weeks, but had five catches, seventy yards on eight targets against the Falcons last night. Should he keep his starting spot in fantasy lineups this week? Mid number two wide receiver along the way, and I think you saw many. Uh, if you could hear, it was a cacophony of voices. Remember, like in in the nerd movie, the first one when they were blowing up planets for fun. Uh, to show off the Death Star. I mean, look, spoiler alert. I got the reference. Some, some I got 40 the years ago. Uh, but the fact of the matter is you heard all the, the millions of voices screaming out. When Mike Evans caught that touchdown pass, that's pretty much what was happening. Where have you been all year? Uh, but against Carolina, tough sledding. Carolina still fighting for something. Nice effort from Jameis Winston. Uh, people, again, wondering where that had been all year. Uh, but Evans, no better than a mid-number two. So we're looking in that 16 to 20 range. We have... 
Saturday action to dissect. So what are you doing with Mike Wallace knowing that Jeremy Macklin's banged up? It's the Ravens taking on a porous indie defense. Pretty good uh, numbers for Wallace over the past month. Uh, I'll get him in as uh, he's in that same range with Evans for me this week. You know, Joe Flacco's a guy that uh, overall there's still a lot of hand wringing uh, on a week to week basis, but Evans has been seeing a high target count, and you know, the big play uh, is in the offing, especially against a bad secondary. So uh, we'll take Wallace in and firmly entrench him as a number two wide receiver for you. Mikey, Zeke Elliott has been out for a few weeks because of his suspension, and, and some are wondering how he'll be when he comes back, setting up a field uh, over there on a golf course to try to simulate what he's capable of doing on the football field. But what kind of fantasy numbers are you predicting from Ezekiel Elliott this week? Got to be giddy going up against Seattle, banged up front. Uh, another team that's uh, still fighting, but may, maybe this past week, uh, after getting punched in the mouth repeatedly by the Rams, uh, finally finished them off. Because people say they passed the baton in the West. No, 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 no. No, the Rams came up and beat them down and took it. Uh, so, Elliott, look at it as a top five back coming off the, the suspension. I have to believe that he's in shape and ready to go and that we don't have those early season woes once again. Uh, offensive line looking healthier Smith's expected to play so look for them at home to take care of business and for Elliott to be a top performer getting you ready for championship week in fantasy football with Michael Harmon swollen dome.com Mike beer almighty three's now getting greedy he's not going to get a <laughs> six pack of questions but I'll give him one more Jeffrey Diggs Crabtree or Woods you get to select two of those wide receivers Jeffrey Diggs Crabtree or Woods coming or back Woods. from the shoulder issue yeah. and he played pretty well in Seattle. Yeah, we're going to take uh, Woods off the board. We're going to grab him. And I, I think the other one, we're going to take Alshon Jeffrey. We're going to go back to Nick Foles having himself a day against Oakland. Uh, it was a tough spot for, for Jeffrey. Um, just we didn't know what we'd see from Foles. Got that early touchdown and, and let everybody uh, exhale a bit. Now an even better matchup uh, entrenched as a back end number one in that 10 to 12 range. Going into week 16, there's a lot of great defenses that we're going to have an opportunity to watch that may be the determining factor of who wins and maybe get in or maybe even stay at home. But which defense unit has the best matchup in week 16 based on their opponents? Uh, we'll take the Ravens to torment Jacoby Brissett uh, at every turn here. Uh, at home, big game. Certainly the Chargers, a bounce-back opportunity here. More injuries. I mean, this, the, the law of average is caught up, and they got injured uh, time and again in that loss to Kansas City. But they have the Jets on the other side here uh, on the road, an opportunity uh, to, to play uh, – Still, still play for some meaningful uh, moments for Phillip Rivers. Still a, a puncher's chance, uh, as it were. Uh, the Eagles against those aforementioned Raiders, they've been giving up the ball uh, quite a bit, so we can get an opportunity there. And then the Cardinals going up against Eli and company. Eli and, and the Giants scoring more points of late, but they're still turning the ball over with some frequency. So maybe a little bit of a, a sleeper play there. Mike, you know how it works in the fantasy football. We have a great relationship with you every step of the way from from early September until the holidays, then you disappear. So I'm not sure if we're talking fantasy next week. Obviously, you're always welcome on the program. Since I know your rise and what a wonderful story it is, let Cordell and this global audience know your transformation years ago from corporate executive to fantasy guru. Oh, I was a guy running uh, a financial aid program at Northwestern after graduating from there. 
uh, helping to keep all those would-be doctors, lawyers, and everybody uh, in school so they could go and charge you exorbitant rates and make you sit in waiting rooms for a long time. But uh, that was part of my doing. But in doing that, I got a lot of yelling at me, a lot of cursing at me, which really prepared me to become the fantasy guru uh, <laughs> later, on, later on because no matter what you say to me in social media, uh, it's nothing like watching someone realize that they're going to have a quarter million dollars in debt uh, and start throwing things at you uh, during an interview process. So uh, I was well prepared uh, for this challenge. Uh, eventually left that gig, went over to work at Yahoo, where I was doing a lot of the messaging, the early uh, rules help and helping the producers and engineers build the games, and then eventually uh, started yelling louder and louder in conference rooms until they finally said, like, we can't contain them anymore. Uh, they unleashed me. They put me with Weber. There's still some video of me wearing an Elvis jumpsuit at one point where my quads were just bursting out and left nothing to the imagination and really uh, propelled me to greatness. Were you capable of changing the color of your hair when you was in the financial offices? Well, I, I had to wear a shirt and tie, but I could. <laughs> I could as long as the, the math was right. Nobody the cared. The math is about the numbers, right? Right. As long as, long as the math worked out and the school got paid and, and the kid was able to continue uh, on the path towards greatness. And, and I look, I, there were a lot of laws that just like the bars, you know, that you're doing to, to get swole in the gym, uh, a lot of federal laws you had to really read carefully to see how much you could bend them without snapping them in half uh, to keep people enrolled. And uh, I got pretty good at that. That's not fun, though. It's all about hot takes and fantasy advice. So it's all worked much out. Better, much easier this way. You know, that guy stinks. There you go. <laughs> I love it. Although you stole my bit with cacophonous. Don't you realize I'm the guy who goes with the big words, Mike? We've been doing this for a long time. Buddy, I was trying to defray another $5 off those graduate school Thank loans. You. And, and oh my. Whenever I use a big word, I get to put it in a jar saying, all right, I used my education. Michael, you're the best. Don't be surprised if we reach out in advance of Sunday. That's a preview of what could be coming up offline. But if we don't chat again next week on this program, we love all of your advice, your input. You're a huge part of the show. And thanks again for another great season. Oh, fantastic stuff. I'll come visit and uh, we'll eat, drink, be merry, uh, and get ready to dominate 18. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. Tune in your everything audio app.